Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but Dan, the annuals don't count. Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider-Talk. Mark, if the annuals don't count, I think we can at least both agree the preludes count because we got another prelude to an event here. I, I I mean, I guess. I, it depends. <laughs> I, I mean, anyway. Well, uh, I, I mean, count or is good. Well, anyway, if you want to swing along with us while I figure this out on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. So this is the perfect time to start listening. And if you are new and you're like, well, this doesn't sound like the perfect time to start listening. It's a prelude to an event. Well, don't worry. We've got a whole catalog on all those different podcasting sites that goes back so far in fact, it, we, it goes back so far. We're approaching 10 years here, Mark. We've got a whole secondary podcast feed called Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues, where basically episodes so old, they don't even fit in our feed anymore. So you can go there and listen to some awesome stuff like interviews with Mark Bagley, J.M. DeMatteis, Ron Friends, like all of our oldest friends, you know, who joined us on the early episodes of our show and some of our best content. But... Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 14, also known as 908. This is the prelude to this year's spider event, Dark Web. I, I, I cringe saying this year's spider event, but we are at that point. This issue was written by Zeb Wells with four stories, one for each season of the calendar. This issue's cover is from artists John Ramitas Jr., Scott Hanna, and Marcio Menez. The interior pencils are from Michael Dowling, Kyle Hotz, Terry Dodson, and Ryan Stegman, with inks from Rachel Dodson, Tim Townsend, and J.P. Meyer, plus covers by Richard Isanova, Dan Brown, Terry Dodson, and Matt Hollingsworth. And of course, letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on November 23rd, 2022. Mark, you're our recap guy, so why don't you jump right into our recap of Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 6, Number 14. Thanks, Dan. Well, here we are, folks. Another crossover event comic with stuff in it I didn't understand reading it in real time, which will make my recap more enraging to people than hearing me pronounce Sanjani, 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 uh, whatever, for 40 minutes straight. We open with Ben in full, speaking of pronunciation, chasm, chasm, chasm attire, along with Janine. Ben is back from raiding another Beyond safe house, and he's promising retribution against he who took everything from him. Janine asks, what does any of this have to do with Ben getting his memories back? So Ben rants like a poorly written supervillain. Which then brings us to Grand Central Terminal, 
Y'all know I'm not gonna let Marvel get away with calling this place Grand Central Station, right? It's a terminal, because train <laughs> service terminates there. The station is the subway platform underneath the terminal, because subway service passes through Grand Central. Jesus, do I have to do everything around here? Anyway, <laughs> Janine is having breakfast back where Michael Jordan's Steakhouse used to be located, and I have to wonder if this is LeBron James' master marketing plan for being a restaurateur in New York City. Regardless, the cook starts making small talk with Janine, who talks about needing to leave someone and being in a tough spot. That's when a waitress comes by and tells the cook the world's dumbest lie, which is the dishwasher is five minutes away. I mean, I put the word in air quotes, and this dumb waitress might as well have done that too, because that's how patently obvious she is that this wasn't actually a dishwasher. It was like the cops or something. Anyway, good work, Barb. Seriously, uh, it's a Nancy Pelosi clip. <laughs> so Janine makes her getaway, first stabbing Jerry's hand with a fork and then cracking something. So we'll just say Jerry is going to be going to the funeral home five minutes away. Right, Barb? <laughs> anyway, Janine goes back to Ben and consents to burning the world down together with him. So Ben puts on the chasm mask and we, and we fade into summer and some super 90s art. So Ben is mistaken for Peter by a big burly guy who is definitely not looking to shake Peter down for money. Ben tells the guy to go kick rocks and after he mentions making his sweet aunt lie for him, we then flash over to a piece of skin in a petri dish, like you do, and it's Janine. And the skin is decades old and the key to something's ignition and now I'm suddenly longing for the days of Secret Scrolls. That brings us to Ben marching into limbo and seeing... Okay, so, Dan, which X-Men character is this? Is this Ilyana Rasputin, Madeline Pryor? I, the, the remainder of this recap relies on you letting me know who this is. Mark, as far as I can tell, this is Madeline Pryor. But I, I'm going to be honest with you, I barely even know who that is. Yeah, you and me both, Dan, but I, I'll, I'll go with you. And I, I do think they confirm it later on, but I, I was still confused at the time. So anyway, the demons in Limbo are taunting Ben and then start fighting with each other. And my goodness, we're only halfway through this comic, Dan. Ben and, Limbo, <laughs> ben and the Limbo Queen go off, which brings us to a new artist. And it's Janine and Madeline and a shout out to a free comic book day issue. Ben is calling for Limbo's army to lead an attack on New York. In exchange, he promises Madeline to help her get retribution against the people who outcast her too, which I'm assuming is something that happened in the next comic I will never read. That brings us to Madeline and Janine having a moment. Well, first Janine kind of accusing Madeline of making eyes at Ben, but then evolving into her complaining about feeling powerless in Limbo. So Madeline does some magic stuff and gives her some powers, transforming her into Hallow's Eve. Yay, another supervillain. Now we're in winter. And like the season itself, this issue just starts feeling longer and longer. The shakedown guy is back to harass Ben, thinking he's Peter. So Ben beats him within inches of his life like a normal person does. So they bring the guy. Gus is his name. Gus, Gus. So they bring Gus. They bring him back to... And it's, it is indeed Madeline. This is where they confirm it's Madeline. Madeline Pryor. So there we know that. And now she does more magic stuff and steals Gus's soul to liberate him. And then Ben and Madeline plot their revenge, and Ben wants to take Peter's soul, and this all makes so much sense to me. And that is my recap. <laughs> I love that you call Madeline Limbo Queen, because that image will just be stuck in my head of her just doing the limbo for, for the whole issue. Sorry. That, that's, the, that's the music that just plays in limbo for the entirety of time. Like, like that will be worse than hell. I, think. I mean, uh, I used to, I used to say because I have a thing against Disney. I know which is bad because they own Marvel now. But I used to say that I would be greeted to hell to the the song "It's a Small World After All." But maybe it's the song for Limbo. I mean, you know, like that's <laughs> they're certainly in the same ballpark in terms of the repetitiveness. Yes. So, Mark, I I think the best way to start with this is to really say like 
I mean, you have made a point on this show to like mock my looking forward through the preview. So I've known about Dark Web for a long time and seen it coming. And I've tweeted as such like that, like, I don't know what to make of this event and that I'm like not looking forward to it, which is to kind of reveal my answer to this question. So I'm curious of you. What were your expectations of dark web? Because I'm sure at some point you had to come across the existence of this thing. And then how did this measure up to those expectations? Like, you know, and, and does it make you excited for this event or right. whatever this is? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, you were definitely sounding the alarm for months. And, and you know, like, you know, kudos to, kudos to you, Dan, for knowing what was coming, I guess. I honestly wasn't looking forward to this much at all. I knew that there was some kind of X-Men connection to it although there was a part of me what was what was the x-men crossover a few months ago with wolverine what was that related to that was Uh, um the hellfire gala okay the hellfire gala there was a part of me like thinking like like it was like almost like like getting to a point where you're like oh maybe that was it maybe that the worst is over but no 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 there's more (laughs) there's more x-men tie-ins to come and like look like I love classic X-Men as much as anyone like I, 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 I but like, you know, anything from like, you know, the interconnecting covers on is like all gobbledygook to me for X-Men. And like, I, I, I just, you know, it, I, the, the interest is just not there for me. So you pair that with the fact that like this was also going to be clearly a, a Ben Riley story and, you know, like. I enjoyed Beyond for the most part. I did not like how it ended. I I wasn't as like enraged about it as some fans were because of how Ben Riley ended up. Not because I thought that they they did right by the character, but because, you know, I just didn't have enough of an emotional connection to the character to to be that invested in this whole chasm thing. With that said, it's like (laughs) I was kind of like, oh, wait, you mean we got to bring him back and do this story and try and resolve this. Cause like I, I, to me, like, like there's no more story to tell here. I like, 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 like I don't even know if we needed the story with Ben and beyond in the first place. I mean, it was a nice diversion for a few months while they kind of cleaned up the mess of the uh, Nick Spencer run. But I, I it just like, it, like this whole thing is like, why are we doing this? Like, I, like I, I like anytime I have to ask that question. Yeah. But why? Like, you know, like reading this issue, there was nothing. I shouldn't say there was nothing inherently wrong. There are a couple things, and we'll get into it, that I think were are just bad choices creatively. Like I, I, I hate to use that word, but like I just you know don't understand like why we need Janine into a supervillain with powers now or things like that. But like in general, like okay, hey, you know, like the story is laid out rather logically. If you you know who the characters are, I guess. Um, but <laughs> but like. Okay, there's nothing like like wrong with the structure of the story and and how it's untold and and you know there's no Peter in it which is a huge bummer but like hey we we get into Ben's head here and we we kind of sort of understand what you know what his motivations are and what the stakes are and just how crazy he's become and willing to go to burn it all down right now regardless I'm still like yeah but why are we doing this like I don't understand like why X Men why Ben Riley why Ginny I I don't. I don't want or need any of this right now. This is so unnecessary and so disruptive to what has otherwise been an enjoyable story in Spider-Man. So like, I'm just, I'm just like really frustrated by this. And this is, these are, I'm going to put this out there right now, Dan, and maybe this comes up again when we give our grades, but like, you know, for as much as I've enjoyed this run, these are the decisions and things and storylines that happen that, that make me leery and, and unable to fully embrace what we got going on here. Like, I, I, I just feel like we're a few seconds away from having the rug pulled out from under us, from underneath us again, and just having a really unsatisfactory conclusion to a lot of what's going on, because like, it's like this, this editorial team cannot help itself from just like diverting and, and, and distracting from its main story at, 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 at every turn, it seems like. All right, done, ran, ran over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you covered a lot of bases there, which is great. Like, uh, I echo so many of your sentiments here. And I think the best way I could put it is in, in the last 
issue uh, and the last little mini arc with the Hobgoblin, I said, this is exactly the right story at the right time. You know, like it, 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 we're dealing with the Norman Osborn thing. What better way to handle that than to bring back the Hobgoblin, you know, and and all the pieces of that story felt like they were a logical extension of the story that we had been getting thus far. And it was a smart way to bring in new elements and continue it here. I, I just, like you said, I don't know why this story is happening. This is a, like the wrong story at the wrong time. You know, maybe it'll be a great story. It just is weirdly inserted here and feels already like a super regressive story for a run that was doing a lot of new ideas and regressive in many ways, not only because it, takes away from the what seemed like the forward momentum of this book, but also that it requires like an extensive 90s lore knowledge of two completely different universes. You know, I'm like you, except kind of the opposite. I've been reading X-Men comics nonstop since the 2000s, if only because like there's a bunch of writers in there that I really like, you know, Rick Remender and, you know, uh, you know, Joss Whedon and stuff like that. And their runs are fun, and I've kept up with it, mostly because, as I tell my wife, I'm reading X-Men comics. That means it's time to go to sleep. Uh, the modern stuff, there's some cool things going on with the Krakoan era when Hickman is writing it, but, like, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of, like, not, not just lore from these two different universes, but, like, deep, very deep lore, you know? Like, there's a... There's a part of this issue where Wells references his own writing from 12 years prior from an issue of New Mutants. And it's like, uh, get this out of my Spider-Man comics. I, I don't I don't need this stuff like bravo to you that you can make it connect. But like it, like we didn't need this right now. And I agree with you about the Ben thing. It's weird to say that like Beyond feels so far in the rearview mirror that it's almost weird to return to it, but it did feel like this thing that like we had to just do to buy everybody time. And I think maybe that's the thing I don't like about the ending is like, I kind of wanted an ending to beyond and it kind of just punted it down. And now it's like, we're moving on to something new and yet this thing has got to come back and it's come back in this way that it's got like all this extra baggage attached to it like the X-Men and Limbo and all this stuff. And maybe it'll work, but it just feels so odd to me here. So like I never understood Dark Web, like what this was that we were getting and why we were getting in this way. But I will say, I do think that this particular comic, if Dark Web is something we're going to get into, it does do a halfway decent job of setting up the stakes, the motives and the methods of the villains of this story. You know, like it seems like we're going to get something that knows what it is that it's doing for that. Maybe this will be the definitive ending to that beyond storyline that I, I wanted, or at least to set up Ben to move forward in a more definitive way. I mean, there's many more details that we can get into. I agree with you almost word for word. You know, specifically on, uh, uh, you know, about the ending of Beyond. And, and I guess I will say this, like, I, I want to talk about these characters becoming villains, right? Because the Internet, like you've mentioned, is all up in flame about Ben Riley becoming a villain. And I don't see anything inherently wrong with that, except for the fact that it's been done like three times in a row recently. Like we've got these big events that like have been as the secret villain, and it feels kind of like we're returning to that well already. And I have no problem with that. Like, I don't love it. The thing that really weirds me out is that, like, we're launching this whole event on what seems to be a misunderstanding between Peter and Ben. Like, could we clear that up? Like, is there a way to clear that up in an easier way? You would think that we'd be able to avoid, like, you know, Ben making a deal with like, you know, a demon whisperer and like waging war against all of New York and trying to steal Peter. It's just so it's so over the top like this. This this makes like like, you know, like I think like even like like vintage like Doc Ock would be like, hey, chill, man. It's not that deep. You know what I mean? <laughs> like like this just seems like so ridiculous. You know, like, yeah, it just feels like, you know, maybe before you go to war, you should like talk to the guy. 
and and that's exacerbated by the fact that like this takes place over a year. Like it's literally a year within the pages of the comic. And it's like in that year of you stalking his apartment, you didn't once confront him and find out that Peter would actually be quite amenable to like probably helping you out in some other way. I'm sure there's a way they could have solved this. Like the misunderstanding is just that Peter didn't want to put on this random helmet from beyond for the tragedy at the end of the beyond story. It worked okay. But to then like launch an entire event on that misunderstanding on the back of that is where it really starts to kind of fall apart. Not to mention the tiny whininess of it's been a year, but then it's been six months since the end of beyond like clearly stated. So then it's like, well, wait a minute, like has six months transpired during the Wells run? It doesn't seem like that. It seems like maybe a week has transpired since the Wells run kicked off. How do you feel about these characters becoming villains? Like are, are, are you, do you share a similar mindset? I mean, I'll start by saying, you know, we were warned back in the day that, you know, all these events would traumatize us. And clearly they, they still are. I'm going to be my usual glib self here and just say, like, I, I think that these character turns, I mean, you know, especially like the fact that they did the same thing with Janine in this issue. I think it's just it's lazy. I think it's lazy writing. I really do. I hate to be that way. I, I, and I'm not, you know, like I'm not saying that that Wells is lazy, but like, I feel like these using these, they're, they're crutches. You know what I mean? It's like, we don't know what else, to, what other stories we can tell with these characters, but we want to keep using them in some way because of whatever reasons. So we're just going to like really heighten and go over the top and make them into, into just pure villains so that, you know, like, like, I, I mean, like, are we supposed to be sympathizing with Ben or Janine here? Because I don't I don't I like it just seems ridiculous. Like you said, like, like we're not even attempting to deescalate. It's just it's just really over the top as if, you know, I, I know I cracked my joke a few minutes ago about Doc Ock, but it's like it's like a Doc Ock story. It's like, you know, like they're just coming in and and guns are blazing and there's no there's no no reasoning. They're, they're not even looking to see what the middle ground is. And like I don't get it. Like, I, I, I don't I don't see why you would take characters like these that are nuanced and complicated and tragic and then just turn them into these caricatures of, of themselves, like, you know, like complete with like twirly mustaches or in this case, a, a purple mask. I don't know. Like, it just seems very silly to me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's especially rough on Ben Riley and Janine because like, it's kind of runs counter to how a typical Spider-Man villain is set up. You know, they're usually people who are people who choose to use whatever powers they get through circumstance poorly, or they choose to explore science in an irresponsible way, which, you know, gets them set up as these villains. They're meant to be kind of like mirrors of Peter in some way. But here you have Ben and Janine who are like victims like and they say as much like Janine was sexually assaulted by her father until she had no other choice but to kill him, which has got her on the run from the cops. And Ben, you know, has lived in Peter's shadow and had like, you know, he's been whatever living imposter syndrome his entire life. It's by no fault of their own that they are they become villains. And so especially because both of these characters, it surrounds like mental health struggles it's even ickier and like because we didn't spend time on the tragedies that brought them here having them like snapped into villains is like kind of really lacking in humanity and empathy for them on on, on the page like there's definitely some and i think we're supposed to empathize with them a bit mark but it's not enough to really make it clear and it's, it's hard to read that because at the same time, you've got a character like Norman Osborn, who is like an out and out villain who we're really meant to empathize with because we realize that the villainy was kind of placed on him by this mental health illness. And he's allowed to come back as a hero, even if we know that he's going to have a level of fall, uh, fall from grace. But I don't think either of these characters have been afforded the same level of care or empathy that Norman has by this run. And maybe that maybe they'll win it, you know, by by the end of of this arc. 
But like, I, I wonder like if Wells knows what he's trying to say with this, like maybe there's something about like heroism has to be hard won and not just won by being shot by a magical shotgun. But like reading these characters on the page, it's, it's really difficult to digest that because it just feels cruel to these people. You know, just going back a few seconds to your point about the empathy or sympathy or, her, or whatever, whatever athy you want to call it. You know, I, look, I not 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 to get into the hot take machine here, but like, you know, the Dan Slot run with with Ben and and kind of showing him basically being tortured by the jackal that kind of broke him into what he became was was far more effective in terms of explaining the character's turn than what we've gotten over the last few few appearances of Ben Riley between the end of beyond and this like it, it, it's just I, I, I I'm trying to figure out like like where's the work being done to to, to change this character I'm not seeing it you know what I mean like it, it just feels very jumping the gun um and 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 the old my my old favorite chestnut of you know telling not showing you know so I don't know like I, it's just it's just very difficult for me to get fully on board I mean with with this storyline when I, I I don't fully quite get why we're at why we're at where we're at with these characters. I mean, it all just gets back to beyond. Like if if the ending of Beyond was always going to be this villainous turn, tragic villainous turn by Ben, then like I don't know why the story was set up the way it is and why they spent the time during that arc the way that they've spent it, you know, like we have, we still don't know why Ben felt so compelled to join beyond and what that like, you know, trade off meant for him. Like if we knew like that, he knew the potential net downsides to this, but still opted to go for it anyway, we would understand why the fall was tragic, you know, for this person that was ostensibly a hero, but all of that is still so vague and doesn't seem like it wanted to go where it ultimately headed. And so now it's, it's, you know, compounding in stories like this, which again, I'll say like, given the set of circumstances that we went into this issue with from the setup by, from beyond, I did find at least the, Yes, there's a lot of secret scrollsy kind of stuff here with magic fruit and limbo and baby skin cut into triangles. All of that is nonsense. But at the end of the day, I left the, this issue going. I know what the stakes for Dark Web are. Like these two people want to use this magical device, whatever that magical device be, secret skulls or magic fruit to take something back from the person they think has wronged them, which is a fine clear character motivation and ultimately probably the thing that matters the most out of an issue like this. Absolutely. No, 100%. Like that, that, that kind of boil, that's the TLDR version of my initial rant, which is that, you know, say what you will about whether or not I want to even be reading this story right now. <laughs> like they, they, <laughs> they are at least telling an effective story. So let's, 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 hey, let's say, say what you will about the ethos of national socialism. <laughs> at least it's an ethos. At least it's an ethos. Exactly. Good, good, yeah. good, good job. Now that, that who's, who's Gen X now, Dan is big Lebowski Gen X. Well, I mean, late nineties, I feel like you were too young to really like, get into that movie at the time i don't know like, okay I'll, I'll hand it to you i'll give it to you okay I'll give it okay to you. I'll, give, I'll give i'll give the gen actors big lebowski all right I, I mean it's it's not okay anyway let's let's get into our let's get a little further let's talk a little bit about the spring section here if you will i i, I did enjoy the 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 art here from michael dowling and i thought it was like a nice soft palette i i i i overall liked the the feel of 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 the spring if it was very spring-like <laughs> i mean i'll just say like i like the construction of the different artists for each uh like season i actually thought that they were all paired fairly well i i think the dodsons is a is a weird inclusion here but like michael dowling doing a kind of like low-key character drama that's like like pretty well staged i thought like he i like his artwork in spider-man comics especially when it comes to 
character drama outside of the masks. His Ben looks like a Peter Parker, and which I think is like more than you could say for some of these other interpretations of Ben. I like the kind of staging, the visual staging of the scenes that he does here. So, you know, I'll read, I'll read Dowling. I mean, that guy is a clear storyteller and I always uh, appreciate that, you know, thumbs up for me on his inclusion coming back from beyond. So I got to ask you, because we kind of talked offline about this scene a little bit. What, what was your take on the Janine Diner scene uh, at the, the, the Grand Central Terminal Diner, which is like, I mean, man, the overhead cost of that must be through the roof. I mean, my goodness, like, like it's got to be like a $30 plate of eggs to, to afford to be in that spot. But anyway, uh, what did well, you think of you that? You know what they say, location, location, location. I mean, my goodness. Um, <laughs> Janine's like, I'm on the run, but I'm going to stop in the most expensive place to get breakfast. Uh, imaginable. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, New, New York, not known for breakfast on the street for a dollar. Kidding. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I actually thought like this was really a, like a cool scene. Well staged. The, you know, you've got like a like a like a mono a mono thing going on. But like I didn't understand its conclusion. Like when the, the cook or whatever comes in and says the dishwasher will be on the way. It's the kind of thing where like you're texting someone and you're being sarcastic, but they don't get it because it's coming through in text. You wish there was like a font called like Sarcastica or something like that. Like so you could convey it like her like wink, wink, nudge, nudge of dishwasher here. Like just didn't come through to me. So like when she suddenly reacts like, a dishwasher, huh? I was like, wait, was there something I was meant to pick up in that image? Like, I'm get, like, you, you clearly got it based on the conversation that we had. But like, I reread this a half dozen times being like, like, I understood what happened, but like, I felt like on the page, I completely missed whatever inference I was trying to get. And it's the kind of thing where like Zeb Wells being a TV writer, it's the kind of thing that you find in a script that like works on screen but in a comic it's like no you got to give me a little bit more because I, I i'm not hearing this right now mark am i i'm being unfair to this one no I, I i don't think you are i don't know why it clicked so quickly to me but it did i'll put it to you like this i can't point out exactly like well no don't you see the face is here and the font is there. no it's not like that but like for whatever reason i saw this and like as it was happening, like this like the whole i guess the whole scene in general seemed very like off-putting to me i'm like nothing nothing is nothing is what it seems here and i think maybe that was like maybe the vibe you were supposed to get from the get-go like even you know this guy coming over you're coming or going i mean like it, it just seemed very you know very inquisitive and and you know like this guy was trying to get info for the purposes of the recap i just wanted to make fun of barb the waitress who you know got <laughs> got her got her got her cook killed apparently I'm assuming I mean like that's the other thing too like we ended up seeing later on that Gus was not killed well at least not killed by Ben initially we, we there's a lot of violence in this comic and you don't kind of actually see what the conclusion is so you can you can maybe assume that the person's dead but we don't actually know for sure I mean it's just kind of like oh I mean I, I just read it that she stabbed his hand and then broke his leg because like okay. he puts his leg up underneath the, the, you know, the table to block her in. So she stabs his hand and then, you know, puts her full force down on his leg and breaks it and runs away. That was, yeah. uh, that was my reading. Oh, I didn't know if she um, like stepped on his face or something. I don't know. It's just <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I mean, a, a little unclear, a little unclear. My, my bigger thing is like the, the first red flag in this issue really showed up for me here, which was like the piece of skin referencing 2009's mutants new mutants number nine which like i actually went back and read mark because lord knows i got nothing better to do with a newborn in my house if you don't know mark that piece of skin was from a baby that was stolen from limbo like an actual baby they cut its skin off okay in that book uh there is a paramilitary group that is using this piece of skin to open portals to limbo to try to establish a military base inside of limbo. So that's the reference that we're getting back to written by Zeb Wells and, and not a bad story, but like big red flags to me. There's a lot of writers in modern days that like to do this, like within Marvel, they'll carve out like a corner where like Bendis did it like the Bendis verse and 
Donnie Cates did it where all of their individual books tie into each other. But like, there's no contract with the reader. That's like, okay, Zeb Wells is writing this book. Now I have to go and read everything he's ever written for Marvel over the years. I worry that we're going to get these kind of obscure secret scrollsy, you know, callbacks. So that was a big red flag to me. But the bigger problem I have with this scene is the immediate heel turn from Janine to like be like, we got to burn the world down. Like, I get the emotional idea that she's been on the run for her whole life. She finally thought that she had gotten free from that. And then her first interaction with a human being like outside of leaving Ben is to be have someone that's on her case, which is like hard to believe that she could be, you know, found that immediately but like barring that it's like i think if you if like if what you wanted us the audience to get out of this scene is like i emotionally sympathize with why janine would want to burn the world down like i don't really think that this is like the best way of getting us there like there was probably something a little more like emotionally compelling than random guy pretending to be a restaurant owner or maybe he is a restaurant owner and he's just stalling for time, like seeing her image decides to turn her in, like maybe something a little more emotionally potent or personal would have gotten us there and really made that hill turn. This just didn't sell me on that heel turn. If you don't mind, let's let's jump over to summer. So we 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 get the much, much more angular 90s fied art in, in summer, which I thought was interesting, given kind of how the heat's getting turned up in this issue. Right. I mean, like it, it does work. I, I don't know if I love it, but it does work. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it is if, if you were looking for an artist to match the 90s content of this book, like Hots is the guy like this is very 90s artwork. It's you know, this, this is going to sound like a criticism, but I actually mean it as a compliment. It's like the overdone, everything is ugly. Like, like uh, everything has 10 pouches, 90 style. Like I actually really enjoyed this artwork in that it is like a nineties pastiche. And I think really matches with the characters we're getting, which are very nineties. Like I loved how liquid he kind of portrays Chasm's suit to be with like when he puts it on, you can almost feel like the gush of the goo shooting out of it. And the demons in limbo are like absolutely hideous. And you could kind of like feel them like writhing all over each other. There's that like the, like the Hieronymus Bosch, like the mountain ranges that are like fate distorted faces climbing all over each other. Like uh, limbo felt alive, in, but also very nineties. And I, I don't know. I liked it a lot. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to lie. Yeah. We also do get a little, uh, I, I noticed we got a drop here about, and I guess Ben, Ben, word got out to Ben that Peter and Norman teamed up to save quote, the love of his life, quote unquote, which would be MJ. I mean, I guess it's good to have confirmation that that story is still happening. And, you know, at some point we're going to get a payoff to what did Peter do? But like, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, Dan, we're at 14 issues now, 14 issues in about nine months. <laughs> and we're still, still waiting to move a little further. We haven't done it yet. So anyway. <laughs> well, well, Mark, you won't have to wait much longer because the solicits have said. That oh, the solicits, the solicits. It. Okay. Oh, when, when, when are they going to resolve it, Dan? <laughs> right after this story, actually. Okay. So, All uh, right. All it, right. Will, it will be resolved. Yes. But I agree with you. I mean, my bigger thing is like for a guy whose memories have been erased, Ben sure seems to be in the loop somehow. I don't I don't really get it. What do you think of like, OK, the debt collector comes back and we know that we were going to get a tease. This is a flashback to this guy. Like I thought here I was like, cool, that's a good use of the debt collector that he would think that Peter had dyed his hair. Right. And like you can't use dyed hair to like, you know, escape from me. I'm coming after your debt. It's not until this later part of the book where I was like, what are we doing with this character? But here, at least I was like, okay, cool, cool. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm down for this. I guess the same in, in reverse with limbo. I'm like, why are we going to limbo? And by the end of the issue, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I could go along with this mainly just because the art sold it uh, so much for me. A bit of a ride, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I'm also going to channel my uh, my inner available Alan Shurstel here, which is to say, like, Ka- uh, Chasm himself, like, in this issue is, as Alan calls it, um, grim dumb. Like, every time he, he speaks, I'm like, you know, this is the dumbest writing. Like, so 90, so, like, like edgelord, I want to be cool. Like, there's a line where he says, my name is Chasm on account of that being all that's left inside of me. And I'm like, oh, why don't you go listen to some emo, dude? Like, <laughs> like I cannot take this guy seriously as scary. He's just so lame. Like, uh, and, and maybe intentionally so, like, I just want to like pour one out for, for chasms feelings. So he's so nineties. It's like, he doesn't even have like well-proportioned feet. That's how nineties he is, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like, like I, 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 I hope that this is Wells making fun of nineties comics, but I don't think it is. Like if I'm being generous, I'm like, he's making fun of the way nineties comics are written here. In reality, he's like, I've always wanted to write a really bad 90s comic. So now I get to do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, we're going to take a pause from this review. But uh, I do want to talk about our community. Like maybe if, you know, Chasm just had some buddies to like talk nicely to him about Spider-Man, he would like not be so down. But like our listeners, they don't have to be in a funk because they have some options. Mark, tell us about what they can do. You mean besides Twitter? No. <laughs> Sorry, low blow, low blow. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, I know you're there all the time. What's going on right now in the Slack? Yeah, well, I mean, there's really one thing going on in the Slack, and that's discussion of this issue and the kickoff of Dark Web. I, you know, I, I think based on Mark and I's responses to this, like, I think we're kind of unsure how we feel about it. And that has really been true in the Slack. I don't think I've ever seen our community so split on an issue as do as this one. Here's the best thing about the Slack, Mark, and, and especially as we watch the the Zeppelin full of explodable, <laughs> exploding gas that is Twitter. The Slack remains, one, strong, and two, a place where even if we disagree about this issue, because there are some people that love this issue in there, like these disagreements are not breeding any ill will towards each other. Everybody just loves talking about these things. There's a joy of interacting and hearing other people's opinions. So like take that Twitter, you know, like you could take your blue check marks, but you will never find a less hive of villainy and scum. Like this is the opposite of that. This is the anti Twitter. Now I'm getting into some weird star Wars metaphors. So yes, come join our awesome Spider-Man community on the Slack. It's an app. It lives on your phone. It's on your desktop. It's everything which it has up on hive, which is only on my phone for some reason. So follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi to us all in the Slack. And I feel like as Twitter falls to pieces, Mark will be joining the Slack. That is my prayer. Like, Elon, keep destroying Twitter so Mark comes into the Slack. But then if I'm joining the Slack, Dan, like, you know, that that, that camaraderie and kumbaya might disintegrate because, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm the one who just comes in and throws bombs and walks out. I'm a chaos grenade. So, I mean. Oh, yeah. no, no. Mm-hmm. Right, right. The toxicity is just Mark, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Uh, apparently. No, <laughs> m- Mark, as, as toxic as your baseball takes are, uh, they're nowhere near <laughs> as toxic as Spider-Man Twitter's takes are on, on most things. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. All right. Let's get back uh, into our review here. So we are we are in the fall and we have Terry Dodson, everybody. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, maybe they still owe him a few issues from the Black Cat series. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> what do you think of Terry Dodson in this one here? Uh, I always have to make at least one Black Cat Kevin Smith joke. I, you know, it's like, it's like my quota, you know? <laughs> 
I, I tend to like Terry Dotson, like his Marvel Knight Spider-Man. I think it's like a really well-illustrated book. I think here the art seemed kind of rushed and half-baked, which makes me dubious because Terry Dodson is filling in for two issues after the end of Dark Web, and he's doing a, a Black Cat and Spider-Man story, which you know may make you cringe a little bit for those who uh, have read the Kevin Smith Black Cat story. I, I don't know. This one felt like the odd duck. You know, it didn't really fit the content. You know, you start off with like Madeline Pryor looking nothing like what we got her, from her in the previous uh, season. And also the writing here felt very like bizarre and, and jumpy. Like Ben now suddenly wants to go to war on, on New York City. And uh, and Janine to me felt like a completely different character here. Like the this desire to become like a villain or super powered. I, I, I don't know. Like this is the one where like I was like, oh, boy, is this going to jump the shark? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and even before Janine's transformation, like I, I, I thought the whole interaction between her and Madeline Pryor was really cringeworthy because it's like, you know, like I you could tell from the get go, like. There was something going on with Janine that she didn't like, you know, and and like and I was even like, oh, is she accusing Madeline of like putting the moves on Ben? And like then Madeline just calls her out for it. But like it just but like I guess I mean, I guess they gave gave us that in the in the comic itself. But it just felt weird. And like, where is this all coming from? Like, you know, like these like all of these characters don't like just seem like not like themselves, you know, like this is really bizarre stuff all, all around. And then like, yes, we have this final transformation of her, of, of uh, Janine into this Hallow's Eve character, which, okay. I mean, like, like this makes no sense to me. Why, why are we making Janine super powered now? Like, like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like you're just taking the very last remnants of this character and her complexity and, and flushing it down the toilet and doing this, but maybe I'm being a little too harsh here. Male comic book creators, let me just issue a statement here. If you're introducing two women to each other for the first time in a scene together, they don't need to talk about how they're competing for a guy's attention. You don't need to address it. We can move on. That's not how women talk to each other. It just isn't. And like Zeb Wells, I would expect more from this guy. Like, doesn't need to live the fanboy dream. Like he's like married to like a beautiful actress. Not that that like okays or justifies anything, but it's like, dude has got to know that this is not how women talk to, to each other. Like I, I would hope for, for, and I was just like, Ick, like, can we not do like, was anybody asking this question? Like, <laughs> gross. But then, yeah, the transformation is like, like, I like the design. Ed McGinnis designs a cool looking character for like a Batman comic, you know, like, <laughs> right. like that's what this looks like. A Batman villain. Like there's something cool about her different masks and the idea that she's someone who has had to take on many different identities over the year. And that's how her powers might manifest. But like the snapping your fingers and getting powers thing and. Like, I, I just, I, it's a trope I've seen way too many times. And like, it begins to make me wonder if this is going to become like a maximum carnage event where there's just way too many villains and things going on. Uh, this is where I kind of like started falling off the train. I don't know if I was ever on the train, but I mean, like, I, <laughs> again, I was just like, I, as I'm, as I'm reading this, I'm just like. Why? Yeah, I mean, I, I said what I said a few minutes ago. Like, I, I, I just feel like the, completely unnecessary. It's a completely unnecessary turn for the character. I mean, as unnecessary as her, st you know, wanting to, quote unquote, burn the world down. I think this just like, like really turns the knife into the wound, if you will, or rubs the salt or whatever, whatever analogy or metaphor you want to use here. Like, it just feels like, like, I want to say character assassination. That's a little too strong, but it's just, it just seems really, really rough. I, 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 I'm not feeling it. So we're, we're in winter now and Ryan Stegman, I mean, and, and, you know, like Ryan Stegman, is still a great freaking artist. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, 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 you know, that, that, that will never change. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, like, even if he did this on a napkin, it would be great. You know, like, uh, like, you know, and, and, and he has that perfect sensibility of drive that rides between like nineties and modern comics. 
And I think that's a perfect fit for this dark web story. I always laugh when it's snowing in Spider-Man comics or it's winter in the Marvel universe, because one, it's never in sync with any other comic. And two, it lasts for like a day, you know, New York known for being snowy and wintry. It's, it's always snows or is wintry for a day. And, and that's it. If the rest of dark web takes place during winter with snow, I will eat a shoe. Like I'm, I, like, you know, I, I don't expect this to be consistent in, in, in any way. The Marvel universe where it's winter for a day randomly. It's like the exact opposite of, of game of Thrones where winter is like decades. It is, it is hyper winter in the Marvel universe. Uh, this was kind of an interesting throwback too. like uh, a lot of this reminded me of superior. Number one, the kind of bit where he beats up boomerang Spider-Man beats up boomerang seeing Ben like just destroy this debt collector guy took me, took me back there. But boy, I got to tell you, like making this debt collector guy into like a serial killer or something. Yeah. Is a very, like, very bad adjusted. man. Yeah. <laughs> I was interested in the debt collector thing. If only to see like, how could Peter get out of a common problem that people have, but now we're like getting out of that because the guy was quote unquote evil or whatever, or something was going on in his attic. It is just so lame. And it seems to be only motivated by like, we needed to kill someone to explain this. And like, we can't have Spider-Man killing someone. So we'll tell you that he was an evil person to justify it. Like, I I just thought that was really dumb because it robbed me of a storyline I was kind of interested in and was just lame storytelling. Not to mention that, you know, then they kill him by having him eat magic fruit, which is just like, a... <laughs> like, why, why, why are we doing this? Like, I, I know it's comics, but come on, like, can we, can we do something better <laughs> than magic? I, I, I secret scrollsy. It's very comicsy. The only thing I can say positively about it is like, okay, like I understand that is a very clear stick, you know, like either Peter's going to eat the fruit or he's not. And that is going to you know, be what these characters are trying to do. I guess it's like, at least it's something very clear and tangible until they change it to something else. That's very not clear and tangible. But like, I did feel like by the end of this issue, I was like, okay, I know what these characters want, you know, Ben. And it's reflected in that final page there. Like if this issue was like just the winter section or maybe just the winter and like spring section, I think I would have like been fine with it. Like, Okay, cool. Like Ben wants Peter's soul because he feels like it's rightfully his and he has a method to do that. Madeline Pryor wants Jean's soul because I guess she felt robbed (laughs) of raising cable. Yeah. X-Men stuff. I'm hoping the X-Men stuff exists in the X-Men tie-ins and I can read the Spider-Man stuff and just worry about Ben and I'll be fine with that. Like, okay. Like this issue did what it needed to do. I know what dark web is going to ostensibly be about and maybe that'll be interesting. Maybe it'll be as lame as secret scrolls. We'll see how, where they decide to focus their attention. I'm hoping it's on character, which like as much as I'm making fun of this issue, it was character oriented more than it was secret scrolls oriented. It makes me somewhat hopeful that I can walk away from dark web and go, it wasn't about big blue beam in sky or magic fruit. It'll be about some character thing that might make it worthwhile. I think that's a, a fair assessment. So do you want to give this thing a grade, Dan? Yeah, I'm giving this thing a C. I'm going to go C minus. Um, you would think I would say worse, but uh, I mean, like you said, this isn't, this isn't a bad comic. I just didn't like it. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> like, I don't like this. I don't like where the story is going, but it's not a bad comic, I guess. That's what it boils down to. I mean, except for a few choice things, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, uh, like I think back on this run, like, to me, this is like the, like, this and, and issue nine are the two weak spots in the run so far, but this feels more in line with like like what we were getting before it doesn't feel out of nowhere not entirely and like issue 900 i didn't love but that i i could recommend issue 900 to people it's a good spider-man comic if it didn't feel just didn't feel like it belonged in this run you know this is just a weird issue it it is not it is not what we wanted from from the book so no. 
Nope. Anyway. All right. Well, anyway, speaking, let's talk about some things we do want, like our Patreon content. Yeah, absolutely. So if you find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. And if you're able, become a member on our Patreon. We can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. So we are constantly making exclusive content for our members, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. So why not take $3.99, the price of one dark web tie-in? Like, if you're like, I don't need those X-Men tie-ins or the Miss Marvel tie-ins or whatever, like, don't pick it up. You know, you don't need to own all this stuff. I say secretly while having pre-ordered those issues. $3.99, that's the price of a new comic. You can put it towards a month's subscription to support this show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear all of our Patreon-exclusive review podcasts on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week that they come out instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcasting feed. Plus, every issue I do, a Patreon-exclusive live call-in episode, which I'm releasing as listening discussion episodes uh, that you can only be a part of if you are a member of our Patreon. So you can talk to me about the new issues and then have our whole community hear your thoughts on it. You know, I think it's a pretty cool new thing and um, I hope it is something that might be exciting for our Patreon supporters. Yeah, no doubt, Dan. Now, meanwhile, if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. Plus, every episode, we also release a new episode-specific desktop background, which is created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And Mark, what artwork do you have coming up? Because I know you've taken the lead on this one, and uh, I'm really excited to see how it's going to result. Yeah, I got, I got, I got to actually check in with the artist, but uh, I, I did commission something from Michael Fife from uh, Copra fame, uh, and also he was the all new Ultimates. Was he? He was the writer on that uh, series, I believe, back in one of the Marvel Now <laughs> initiatives, I think. He's going to do a great uh, picture of, of Spider-Man and the symbiote for us from kind of kind of think of like, you know, Web of Spider-Man number one kind of stuff. That's super cool. Well, yeah, so that's exciting to look forward to. But uh, we do know that this is a hard time for everybody as it is for us too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. There should be a link in the description of this episode on AmazingSpiderTalk.com. Pretty much anywhere this show is. If you're on YouTube, check the description. It's all there, a link that will take you to our Patreon content. But also a thank you to all the members who are already supporting us on Patreon who make our show possible each and every week. All right, now, Dan, it is that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our video version is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Plus, our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Madge, and our animated intro was credited and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until we eat the souls of the podcasters we were cloned from, you know, the guys who hosted the Superior Spider Talk, mm. and then assume our rightful place as the true host of this program, what's our motto? Oof, that's, that's heavy, man. Uh, with great podcasts, there must also come... The amazing spider talk, which is like the chasm in my soul. You're so lame and emo. <laughs> Let's go listen to Newfound Glory. Ooh, I don't even know who that is. <laughs> you millennial, mean... millennial dig. Oh. Let's go listen to Depeche Mode, okay? <laughs> uh, that's a better band. <laughs> there we go.